them, they will take care of them and bring them back at the end, so they'll come back. I don't know, some of you are new, I've said this before, so some of you have heard this before, but when you're a pastor and you see about a quarter of the congregation leave all at once and they're under third grade, that's a really good thing. I don't know if you think that or not, but I sure do. I knew Craig was going to do something this morning, but I didn't know exactly what he was going to do. So uh, I'm not going to duplicate what he did because I'm not married for 35 years, I'm going toward 40 Love at last sight is what we're going to talk about, not today. I'm going to talk about changes today. For the next half an hour or so, we're going to talk about life changes. And it's always a time for a change. I don't care what you've been doing. I don't care where you're at. I don't care what you're thinking this morning. I don't care if you're just here because you wanted to play with your tractors today or somebody twisted your arm to come. I don't care why you're here. I hope, my prayer, my goal is that when you leave here, there will be some change in your life. Maybe you've never heard about Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross to save your sins. Maybe you've been playing church and you got saved a long time ago, but you've kind of been fooling around. Today's the day to make a change. My life has changed dramatically. I'd like to start with a personal story, then look at some generic things, and then look at the greatest change of all of them. The first time I saw her was at a birthday party. She was 15 years old. I should have known exactly what she was like then. It was her cousin giving the party. Her boyfriend was one of my best friends from grade school on. And my wife, I mean, Faye, and not my wife at that time, she was running around acting like she was in charge of everything. I should have known what she was like. And you know what? I was there with somebody else and I just noticed that she existed. Well, that relationship didn't last very long. I just graduated from high school and you know what? I could have cared less about girls. Believe it or not, I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. I wasn't desperate for a girl. I was nothing. But her cousin kept insisting, Paul, I want you to go out with my cousin. I kept avoiding her. And I did purposely avoid her. I did that. It worked out. Uh, I was just hanging out with my buddies, having a good time, working on cars and going swimming, just hanging out. Um, And then one night, I went to the store to buy some supplies for my car. It was at a 5 and 10 cent store. I'm not sure if it was oil or what it was. I don't remember. And I saw Faye and her cousin at the back of the store. And I thought, and I knew her cousin for many years. We, we knew each other well. And I knew if she saw me, she would stop and talk. And that would mean I would have to meet her person. By the way, this is my wife down here. Russ. <laughs> Russ, we're, we seem to be getting two different feeds here. I'm not sure what's going on. Okay? It's because of this. Okay, sorry. You know what? I'll just stand in front of the mic. This, uh, it, it doesn't work right, right now. 
I'll actually stand in one place this morning. So anyway, we're in the store, and I purposely saw them and tried to sneak out of the store. I literally was trying to be incognito and sneak out the store. I was literally halfway out the door when her cousin goes, Hey, Paul, wait up. Ah, I was busted. So I waited up. And you don't understand, I was shy. I didn't talk to girls other than minimal. She comes out and she started talking. She introduced me to Faye. We're talking for a while. And then her cousin said, you know, I could eat a McDonald's cheeseburger. Now, you have to understand, that was long before, that was 45 years ago, or 44 years ago, there was one McDonald's in our area, and it was the one right down here in, in Middletown, and we were in Hummelstown. She said, I said, yeah, I'll go with. She looked at Faye and said, are you going to ride with me, or are you riding with him? And she said, I'll ride with him. I should have known what she was like. I really should have known what she was like. It gets better. She's probably not going to like this next part. But anyway. So we took, uh, we took Faye home. And by the way, she lived in this big stone house right at the end of the church driveway. And I had never been there before. Took, we took her home. And I stopped at her cousin's house. And we were talking for a few minutes. And she said, would you go out with my cousin Faye? And I'm like, yeah. Well, here, I'll give you her number. I told you, I wasn't, I wasn't rushing into anything. A week later, I'm at my buddy's house working on cars, and I get a phone call from her. I should have known what she was like at that point. And you know what? It went from there, and I, I did, she did persuade me to take her out on a date. <clears throat> that wasn't quite true, but, but it was mutual. Anyway. And now I had no excuse for not knowing what she was like. Well, it's about um, three and a half years later. Uh, we both had the biggest change. The biggest change was meeting her at that point. But the biggest change came about three and a half years later when both of us, we had been going to church all our lives, but both of us came to the point where we recognized that we liked each other. We were planning to get married. We were already engaged. But something was still missing from our lives. And that was a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I uh, got saved about a month before she did. I trusted Christ right down over the hill here, all by myself. And uh, about a month later, she was driving across 83 on the South Bridge, thinking about the things that we have been learning in church and from other people. And um, in the process, the only person I know that got saved while driving over the bridge going to Cedar Cliff Mall is my wife. She trusted Christ. Three months later or so, uh, I, I mean six months later, we got married. Three months later, we went to Word of Life Bible Institute. And uh, then we went to Brazil for about nine months. And then the kids started coming, and it has been change ever since. You know what? Life is full of changes. If you think life doesn't change, you're dead. And that's the only way it doesn't change. You're dead. But life really does change. In all of life, there are a number of things that happen. We start... And our relationships in lives in life change. For example, 
All relationships have a start and a middle and an end. For example, the first stage is that infatuation. It's the first glance. It might be a girl. It could be a job where it's, and you know what it's like. You've just got a new job. You were discouraged because you lost your old one or you've got a new job. And this is the best thing that happened. The pay's a little higher. The people were nice. It's love at first sight. First glance. Everything looks good. You're attracted to something because it's new. It seems great. It seems overwhelming and wonderful. And at that point, you only see the good things. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be a marriage. It could be a job, as I said. It could be a new church. It could be a new relationship with God. It's great. Everything is wonderful. That's love at first sight. It's our preferences. And there's nothing wrong with human preferences. We all have them. And a preference is being met. And we feel good about it. But then there's the second stage. I'll call that one reality. You know, remember when you got married? Some of you remember back that far yet? Okay? And everything is wonderful. It's great. And now you find out that they snore. They don't put their clothes away in the hamper. They, you know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, reality sets in. You find out that, you know, it was kind of cute when they were late when you were dating because... You know, you were willing to wait, and now it's just plain irritating, frustrating. You name it, whatever it is, reality begins to set in. The differences now become glaring. Before, they didn't really matter. But now you see a bigger picture. And you see things for what they really are. And then you realize, I've made a choice, and I'm in it for the long run. I'm in it for the long haul. And now I'm going to have to deal with those differences, those changes. Anyone that's been in life for any amount of time knows that there are changes. I've seen it in children. They, they really like first grade and they don't want to go to second grade. But after about two weeks in second grade, they would never go back to first grade again. Because reality is, they've changed and moved on. God has designed us to grow and to move forward. And we choose to love in spite of the differences. We choose to deal with the things that are in front of us and that confront us. And we choose to take those differences and make choices to make us stronger people. So that we can become more mature. We can grow up and move forward. And then there's that last one, the love at last sight kind of thing. It's the third stage, because every relationship has an ending. Some of those endings are pretty sad. Some are hard. Some make you angry. Some, you're just happy it ended. You name it. But every relationship has that kind of thing that goes with it. The question is, at the end of a relationship, are you going to go... I am glad it's over. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Or are you going to be the kind of person that works on a relationship, no matter what area it is, that you go, oh man, this is over. I wish it could continue on. When you come to the end of the life, it's that way. You know, whether it's in a marriage and one spouse dies, we'll get back to that in a moment. And it's like, wow. Wow. This is really hard. 
What about spiritually? At the end of life, are you going to say, boy, I'm really glad life is over. I get to spend eternity in heaven, away from the presence of sin, with my Savior forever. Or is it, I have to face the one who did everything for me and admit that I rejected him. That's a real choice. But it's the last sight. And we need to all look to that. Long-term relationships always have a loyalty and a faithfulness and a hard-working stick-to-itness that's required. A relationship with God is like that. In fact, is it says that we are to desire the pure milk of the Word of God so we can grow. It tells us that we're to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul could say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Let's look at relationships in a little bit uh, deeper uh, way. All of our human relationships start out young and they continue on. We start out completely dependent on our parents. That's the way God designed us. Even animals are a lot that way. The, the young are many times totally dependent on their parents. We started life that way. But then we're all cute, cute and cuddly at that point. You know, even if we wet our diaper and cry when we're hungry, we're still cute and cuddly. After a while, no parent wants their child to stay there. We want them to learn to talk and to go to the bathroom on their own, to pick up their toys, you name it. We expect them to grow and to mature into young men and women, learning to make decisions for themselves, taking responsibility um, and getting the privileges that go with that, to spread their wings, to understand who they are, to become independent. No parent wants their child to be with them the rest of their life. Well, at least I hope they don't. We want them to move on and, and have their own life and move forward. As we look at life in general, and particularly when we talk about marriage, those first things are exciting, and they absolutely are. There's the newness that comes with the relationship, and then it grows, and then, unfortunately, it comes to an end. And that's sad, and you might not like to hear that this morning, but it's a reality of life that changes. For example, and I'm going to do this very quickly, that's why I put it up here. There's a fascination with newness. There's a sensation of being in love. It's learning to leave and to move forward. It's overlooking most problems. And you think about that in new relationships, you kind of overlook the problems. There's a physical attraction that goes with a new marriage. And then there's the second side, a stage, where... You learn to fit together and adapt to children. You establish that love. You test your commitment. And believe me, there are those tests. You that are married, no. There are tests once you get married. And you find out, am I really committed? Did I mean I do? Or I might if I feel like it. The answer is the Bible says it's I do, I did, it's done. You know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And it's finding the unresolvables. I remember those days. And I don't remember what they are, but Faye and I have things that we absolutely will never agree on. I don't even know what they are anymore because they were so long ago. Actually, we still have a few of those, don't we? Yeah, we still do. Okay. But, you know, we've learned that 
She tolerates me pretty well. I tolerate her pretty well. And we love each other. And there's the emotional attachment. But it goes beyond that. To working together. You put Faye and I together, I guarantee you stay out of our way if you've given us a job to do. Don't interfere. Because I'm... I'm function and she's form and you put those two together. It works and it looks good. That's the end result when we deal with things. But it's now having time to reach out to others in love. It's the security that comes with we have a track record. We've been committed. Living above the problem. Not ignoring them, but living above the problems. And there's an intellectual thing that goes there that you never had before. And this last one is a hard one. Because some of you are there. I know because you've talked to me. You know, it's 10 years later. I still miss my spouse. That's tough. I never, I never get used to a person coming up to me and says, I'm still lonely. It's 10 years ago. I'm still lonely. But it's the, the, the time together. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Uh, there's one more here that it's just the fulfillment of that, and I'm ahead of myself. It's the grief of loss, the longing of love, looking back and looking at that relationship. It's the pain of that commitment because you were committed to somebody 100%, and now they're gone. It's the problem or the pain of loneliness, and it's the attraction to the past. But notice, it started, it had a middle, and it has an end. I'd like to take the next few moments and look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you have a Bible, please open it to John chapter 3. If you don't, you might find one under a pew chair near you. You can follow along. As we look at uh, John chapter 3, and also we'll look at Ephesians chapter 2. Now, you're not going to be able to turn back and forth. So if you go to John chapter 3, that will kind of be the main one. But it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that all of us are born separated from God. That's reality. It doesn't matter how cute and cuddly they are. We are born with a sin nature. It's a nature that sets us apart from God. Here's how it says it in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. When you see the word dead in the Bible, people that come to Garden Chapel normally know. Death means separation. So here's how it reads. In Simplicius, you were separated in your trespasses and sins. By the way, we're not necessarily talking about murder. Or kidnapping or rape or one of those kinds of horrible things that people do. We're talking about everything from a wrong attitude to anger to jealousy. You name it. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Sin separates us from God. Always has, always will. There's no cure for it except the Savior. See, sin needs a Savior. If you could be good enough... To close that separation between you and God, you don't need Jesus Christ. You don't need Garden Chapel. You don't need the church. You don't need the Bible. You don't need anything. You're just good enough. I know one thing. The Bible's clear, and my practical experience tells me that none of you are going to make it on your own. How do I know that? Because I know me. And you know what? I'm just like you are. I was born separated from God, and that's the way it is. I could not be right with God. I remember thinking, 
literally, this is dumb thinking, but this is what I thought back then, dating my wife. People would ask me, are, are you born again? Have you trusted Christ? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. You know what I meant by that? I went to church. I got baptized. Somebody sprinkled some water on me. I say I got wet. Um, I drove a GTO. I liked apple pie, and I had a girlfriend. I'm in good shape. I'm an American, by the way. Yeah, I'm in good shape. The point is, eventually, it came to an end. It's like, Paul, you know you're not good enough. You do not meet the standard, the perfect standard, of an absolutely holy God. You come short. You are separated from God. The Bible is very clear. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions. Only Jesus Christ, because he was born without a father. And by the way, just in case anybody wants to know, the sin nature is passed down by all you guys. So when your kids act up, the wives can look at you and say, it's your fault. Okay? Seriously, it is literally that way. The sin nature is passed down through the male. And it really is. So my kids all act like me. And they got it legitimately. But it says that we were... Uh, In verse 3 there, it says, Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And you were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. All of us are separated from God because of the sin nature and because we live out that sin. It's true of all of us. And now we're in John chapter 3. Because there was a very religious man. His name was Nicodemus. You probably know the story. He was a Pharisee, and he was also a ruler of the Jews. So he was of the most educated religious leaders, and he was one of the Sanhedrin, one of 70 spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel. He was in the top 70 in the whole country. And he came to Jesus, and he came by night. He came by night for a reason. Because we know what happened later, and I'm not, I don't have time to do that this morning. But when he started kind of defending Jesus a little, he really got blasted by the rest of the Jewish leaders. Because you know what? They all thought, you know, if we keep the law, if we go through the rituals, if we offer the sacrifices, if we keep our nose clean, we'll be all right. Nicodemus recognized that that wasn't working. And he also knew there was something different about Jesus Christ. And so at nighttime, when nobody else could see him, remember, there are no street lights and all those kinds of things. He can kind of sneak in the back door and he can talk to Jesus. Nobody else will notice him. And that's exactly what he did. Very respectful of him. In verse 2, it says, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he kind of looked at him with respect as a teacher. Remember, he is a Jewish teacher. One of the elite. And he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, we recognize you came from God. He's starting to recognize he wasn't sure about himself. But he recognizes Jesus as different. He said nobody could do these things unless God is with him. Didn't recognize him as God himself. But he recognized he was different than everyone else. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
That word born again, you've probably heard it used many, many different ways in our culture. And people use it in all kinds of different ways today. But it simply means to have a spiritual birth or a second birth or a birth from above. You see, we all had a physical birth. If you didn't have a physical birth, you're not here today. Okay? That's just the way it is. If you had a physical birth, you could be here today. But he says you need a second kind of birth. A birth that's not from the world, not from the earth, not from physical, not from flesh, but one that's from God. To be a part of God's kingdom, you have to be born into it. That's what it says. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nobody was born physically this way. We're all born separated. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So Nicodemus has got his mind stuck on the physical birth. He's going, you're talking about a second birth? How in the world can that be? Can I shrink back down to a baby and be born a second time physically? Jesus stopped him and said in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. A lot of people get confused there and they think this is talking about baptism. It has nothing to do with it. It's talking about physical birth. All the ladies that have had a a baby know exactly and all their husbands know that. And you may have been in a store and a lady was very pregnant and all of a sudden you knew that that first birth was a birth from water. Okay? And every all of a sudden everybody's running around and heading to the hospital. Because the water is broken, a baby is coming. That's just the way it is. He said, you had that kind of birth, but you also now need a spiritual birth. Both of them give life. One physical life, the other spiritual life. And that's what God is saying uh, through (coughs) the writer here. In fact, is in John chapter 3, verse 16. Most of you already know that verse. It says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, we're going to perish if we're separated from God. But there's a way to change that. Life must change. If you're going to be right with God, your life has to change. You have to make a choice. And that choice is to believe what Jesus Christ has done for us. Verse 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. In verse 8 he says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it came from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, a physical birth is a birth that everyone can see. Where's Dick Buffington? Dick Buffington was around here. If you didn't see him, go up to him afterwards. He'll show you this big 8.5 by 10 or 11 glossy picture of a great-grandson, right? A great-grand... Yes, okay, I got it right. Okay, he'll be glad to show you that. Because guess what? A physical birth, you're all excited. You show everybody the pictures. Nowadays, you put it on your iPhone and send it to everyone or whatever it is. Um, Or you show it to somebody in a photograph. But a spiritual birth, you can't see. You can't see the wind. But you can see the results of it. And it's just as real. Because the wind really does have real results, even though you can't see it. If you don't believe that, a sailboat would never work. 
you wouldn't have the things get blown down all from your, the, leaf, the branches off your trees when the storm comes. Because you can't see the wind. But it does change everything. And that's exactly what he's telling Nicodemus. You say, how does this whole thing work? Jesus knew that we would need that explanation. And so he goes on, and if you're still following with me, go to verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes believes may in him have eternal life. That is a quote and an allusion to an Old Testament story, an account that happened in the wilderness. The people were mumbling and groaning against the leadership of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And they said, we want to go back to Egypt. We loathe this manna that God had been giving them every day to keep them alive. And they said, we want to go back. We want the food from back in Egypt. Let's go back. And they were mumbling and groaning. And God finally said, that's it. I've had enough of this. And he said, anyone who is doing these things, if he's going to die, going to die, unless he looks at, and, and they started to die. And he said, put a serpent on a pole, put it up. And anyone that looks at that pole will live. That's what it's talking about here. As Moses lift up, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. They took a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and anyone that was going to die because they were bit by the snakes that God had sent because they were grumbling and moaning, if they looked at that serpent, they would live. It's the look and live principle. Not difficult, but it requires an act of faith. You see, if you were living then, you could have went to the doctor after you got bit by one of the venomous snakes. You're going to die. You could have done all the home remedies you want, put all the tourniquets on you want. You could have prayed all you want. You could do anything you wanted to do, and you're still going to die. He said there's only one remedy, one only. You need to, by faith, you're going to look at that serpent on the pole. Now, that, looks, that sounds pretty stupid. Really? Yeah, I'm not being sacrilegious, but it kind of doesn't sound right. But God said that's the only cure. Well, guess what? Notice what it says. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus Christ must be also lifted up. It's talking about the cross. You see, only by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ can anyone ever have that eternal life. There is no other way. You can go to church all you want. You can give all your money to to God. You can do all the good things you want to do. You can pray, you can light candles, you can do whatever you want to do. Try it all. Same result. You're still separated from God. He says the only way you can be right with God and not have a relationship with Him is look to Jesus Christ. How do you do that? The next verse. I already quoted it, but let's look at it one more time. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So how do I look and live? It's by believing what Jesus Christ has done for me. To believe in Jesus Christ requires repentance. What do I mean by that? Simply this. Because everyone knows that we have to answer to God. 
And we have some system of our own, whatever it happened to be. Maybe one that was taught to you. Maybe one you dreamed up on your own. It doesn't matter what it is. You need to say, you know what? That one's not going to do it. I need, and repent simply means change your mind. Instead of trusting what I have been trusting, I need to turn around and trust the one who died for me. The one who was lifted up on the cross. Died in my place, shed his blood to pay for my sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. It just does not happen. God said there's only one way to be saved. And that is trusting Jesus Christ. There is no other way. I told you my wife um, trusted Christ while she was driving across the South Bridge. And later on, when somebody asked her how she knows she was saved and what her favorite verse is, this is what she said. And I'm just going to quote it for you and then I'm going to bring it to an end. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace, that's as a gift, you are saved. Through faith, same thing as we just saw in John chapter 3, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. The salvation that is offered, no one can buy, no one can work for. It's already paid in full. Jesus said it's finished. Everything that could be done for our salvation has already been done. It's it's over. It's finished. There's nothing you can add to it. He said it is an act of grace. It's a gift. And it's not from works, but it is my faith. Faith is simply believing or trusting in what someone else has done for you. It says, not of a result of works, lest any man should boast. You see, if I could stand up here and I had someone tell me, well, I know why you're a pastor, because you want to make sure you get to heaven. I'm like, absolutely, positively, no. I am a pastor because I already know that I've trusted Christ, and I want others to go to heaven also. I want others' sins forgiven. I want others having a life that's worth living here and now. And all I am is one who's already experienced what God has done in my life by faith. And I just want to tell everybody else. I could do that without being a pastor. I did it for many years. But God gave me the privilege of being a pastor. And I get to talk to lots of people. And tell them, you can know Jesus is your Savior. You can know you have a life that's worth living here and now. And a heaven that's worth waiting for and an eternity with God for all eternity. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I make no big deal about this because you know what? This is a transaction that has nothing to do with me. I'm just an ambassador, one who tells you the truth. If you've never trusted Christ, just from the simple, from your inside, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ died for me. I want you to save me. That's it. Nothing fancy about this. It's an act of faith. That's what it is. If you've got challenged and say, hey, you know what? I've trusted Christ, but I'm just not living that way. I challenge you. Make that commitment to him today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that has supplied everything for us through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you have done your perfect work in my life as well as other people today. Thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for all of our sin made it possible for us to be a part of God's kingdom and a child of God. 
Lord, I pray, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of the people here this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions, by all means, talk to me. And this tall guy here is Pastor John. He's our associate pastor. Um, And uh, we would be thrilled to talk with you.